0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, as we go to our message this morning, I want us to look at biblical leadership today and next week as well. And I'll give you a little insight as to why I'm doing this. Back last fall, I worked through a series called Build, and I just talked about how God builds his church, because I wanted us as a church to stay focused on what God is doing and the way he builds his people through the doctrines that he's given to us to understand that, like the doctrine of the Trinity and how the church is an expression of God's very nature and being, the doctrine of the priesthood of the individual believer or every believer, and how we as believers are priests of a new covenant in the world. And we talked about some gifts of grace that God uses to empower His people. But I wanted to come back at this time and next week I'll give a little more explanation specifically why I'm leading with this. I wanted to give just a couple of weeks to talk about biblical leadership in the church because it's an important extension from how God builds the church, but it's also important for us at this point in the life of our church. I'll talk more about that next week uh, and just uh, some of the reasons that I'm wanting to teach through this as well. Today though... I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter five. There's really four principal passages in the New Testament where we see biblical leadership for the church Uh, explained. This passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, you have qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 20, Paul addresses the elders of the Ephesian church uh, or the church at Ephesus and uh, speaks to them and gives them some direct uh, leadership. Uh, or exhortation rather for leadership. Now, there are other passages where we draw principles for leadership, but when we're talking about biblical teaching of church leadership, these are the principal passages that we look to. And 1 Peter offers us a very unique perspective in its teaching. You know, we live in a time that I believe needs this teaching from 1 Peter and the specific perspective that it brings to church leadership. Because in the day and time in which we live, uh, leadership is questioned pretty much at every level. Is it not? I mean, it, it, we see this whether, um, uh, whether it's in government, whether it's in church, whether it's in um, um, a business in some sort, there is no small amount of questioning often towards leadership and just not necessarily individuals, but as a whole, the the positions of leadership. And to a great extent, I believe that this is a reflection of our culture's growing rejection of authority. Our individualism is overwhelming us and it is reducing the acceptance or, yay, I use the word tolerance, of authority. We we don't want to be told what to do. Now, some of that is our Western American mindset, our individualism, our pull your boots up and go get them. and, And I'm all for that. But when authority is wholly rejected, we move into a realm that we're not completely prepared to address. Because authority roots itself in the very nature and being of God as he is truth that is authoritative for our life. And so a right holding of authority is appropriate and right for Christians at all in all different areas of life. So let me just admit this at the beginning as well. Church leaders have given the church every reason and every opportunity more than they should have for their validity to be questioned and to bring them under the suspect of microscopic investigation for sure but when we come to the bible we find that even though failures continue because they didn't start with our generation friends they started as far back in the bible as you can go with the leaders that God appointed And because they started there, they're going to continue as long as we are here. That doesn't mean we throw out the leadership. It means we come back to the source of our authority and consider what has God said. And so today, I want us to look in this message at what does the Bible say about church leadership? What is it to be like? And I want to do this from 1 Peter chapter 5 in four short verses. Read along as I read aloud. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying, yea, even the application as a whole. Of His Word today. I propose to you today that eldership is the Bible's prescribed structure of leadership for the church. Now let me lay some groundwork so you understand a bigger scope within which this passage systematically falls. In the New Testament, there are three words that encompass the whole role of biblical leadership. And each one of the three words that are used stress a different aspect of the role. What it doesn't do is establish three roles. Does that make sense? Three words, one role. And that one role has three different aspects or uh, uh, features of it. The first word is the Greek word presbyteros. When you're reading the New Testament and you encounter the word elder... This is the Greek word that is most typically translated as elder. And this word stresses the dignity and the maturity of the individual and the office that it should be given. Now, elder is a word that's used with multiple definitions. Obviously, those who are older, your elders, that's, that is one way that the word is used as well in Scripture. But in this specific passage and in studying leadership in the church, when it uses the term elder, it is denoting that idea that the office is worth dignity and maturity for the office. The second word is a word that is that is episkopos. And when you see this word, you typically read the translation of overseer or bishop. Overseer or bishop. And this is the word that stresses the competency of the individual for the office. So when you go to 1 Timothy and Paul is writing about the characteristics of a person's character for the office, he is using this term of overseer or bishop to stress how the individual should be competent because of their character for the office or for the role. And the third word that is used is poimino, poimino which is translated Pastor. Pastor. This word is used to stress how the work is to be done. And I want to take this word this morning, this third word translated pastor, and I want us to unpack what Peter is trying to say of the whole role of eldership or pastoring. Now, why don't we just say pastors? Well, because I'm not only helping you to understand what the scriptures say, but I'm also speaking into a context today when one of these words is used in so many formats, it loses its meaning very often. The others are overlooked or not used at all. And depending on what church tradition you come from, some church traditions use all of them to denote a hierarchical structure within that. I'm I'm not commenting on any of that today. I'm not interested in denominational hierarchy. uh, I mean, I'm interested in it. I'm just not interested in it for this message today. What I want to talk about is how does the local church, for us, an autonomous, local, independent church. In other words, we as an individual body of believers are not controlled by any outside organization. Neither denominationally or organizationally. We as a church body believe that the Lord Jesus Christ leads us directly by his spirit, through his people, the congregation. And this is the leadership that I am addressing today, okay? It's crazy how much I feel like I just really got to, you know, I got to do all these little sub things to make sure we're all on the same page. But it gets so convoluted at times, and I want to bring clarity, and I hope and pray that I do bring clarity to that to help benefit your life spiritually. I introduce this with these, with these words for one reason. They all encompass the full scope of one office for the church. And that's why I propose that biblical eldership is God's ordained structure for church leadership that identifies, that qualifies and that affirms men by the congregation to lead as Jesus' under shepherd. Now, cliches often get us in trouble, don't they? Especially when we're talking doctrine or theology or biblical teaching. We've got so many cliches that some of them I grew up with and some of them I've only later been introduced to and and when people just kind of want to sum up sometimes what they believe, they found this little cliche that feels so right and yet Typically, I find cliches may hit in one point with some measure of accuracy, but miss the greater whole. And so I want to identify a cliche today that has some measure of truth to it, but also brings a measure of deception if we're not careful. Often you will hear this, that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Now, in a generic sense of Christians, this holds some truth. And while it can be true in many instances and in some ways, it's absolutely false every time for eldership. Okay, Eldership in the church is not a pathway whereby character can be grown and matured. But what God has ordained for us as we will see today is that eldership the very process of moving towards it is one in which the testing for qualification and affirmation within the church body takes place. In other words, the church is called to test and qualify or approve those who are qualified for the role The Bible is clear. Elders are to be qualified before they are appointed. Not a fail-proof system for sure because we are still sinful people. But it does provide a pathway and practices that guard the church and guard individuals. And so biblical eldership means applying the gospel in such a way to a growing, healthy, thriving community of Christ followers who are faithfully led to carry the gospel to the whole world. So here we go. That's just my introduction. I hope this blesses you. Why then, why does Jesus give shepherds to lead his church? Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Jesus gives elders to the local church so he can lead his people as the chief shepherd. Jesus gives elders to the local church so he can lead his people as the chief shepherd. Peter provides three aspects of shepherd leadership for us today that directly answer this question, why does Jesus give shepherds to lead his church? And the first aspect I want you to see is this. I want you to see the man of shepherd leadership. Look at verse 1 with me, the man of shepherd leadership. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter's addressing the elders personally here. He's wanting to connect with them by relating to them. And he helps them to understand not not only who he was, but the man that God calls to lead the church. Now, let's begin in this way. Peter was not a perfect man. Would you agree with that? All you got to do is read a little bit about Peter, especially in the early days, and you'll find he was not a perfect man. And it would appear that the later on he went, he didn't achieve perfection, though he did See, much maturity. Listen to some of these highlights of Peter's life. He learned the cost of taking his eyes off of Jesus. How? By getting wet, (laughs) right? He went in the deep end and he wasn't ready to swim the way he thought he was. And he had to call on the Lord. Regarding the gospel, Peter knew it. He even saw it with his own eyes carried out before he got it. Does that make sense? I mean, before he really understood it. It's like in all of those years of walking with Jesus on the earth, he heard it, he understood it, he saw it. But it wasn't until the resurrected Lord appeared to him and then he stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost that he got it. The light bulb came on, it clicked for him. Here's another one. Jesus warned him, but Peter denied that he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. That's more than just insightful for us, friends. That's instructional. What you keep telling Jesus you will or won't do for him, be very careful because That might be an application of the gospel in your life, but it is not the gospel. What you do for God is not the gospel. What God has done for you is the gospel. Don't ever get those out of order or it will wreck and ruin your heart. Peter teaches us this, friends, that man doesn't have to be perfect but must live in a continual pattern of repentance unto faith in following Jesus. He gives us three phrases that provide insight into the qualifications of the man of shepherd leadership. And the first one he says is this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow Elder. You see, Peter at this point in his life could have said much more to begin with than fellow elder. He could have said, I am an apostle. At this point, I'm reminded of that clip of that coach that got up on ESPN and said, I am 40 years old. I am a man. And that's funny. You don't sound like it at this very moment, right? But he didn't claim any right of passage. As an apostle. Rather, he surrendered and submitted and humbled himself to relate directly to these who were elders in the church. And he said, I'm a fellow elder with you. He wanted to identify with them, to exhort them, and he wanted them to persevere by remembering as an elder what it requires to be qualified in character and in competency surely they had talked many times about what it was that that was required to become an elder Between Peter and between Paul and between the other apostles and the disciples, what are these qualifications that are mandatory? And they rely simply on this, that God demands the character of an individual to be such to make them competent to do the work that God gives them to do. You see, friends, character is determined by what fills a life. It's determined by this, what centers your thinking, what consumes your affections, and what commands your will. Those three things, the heart of a person determines the character of that person. And sometimes we think of good character as just producing the right action at the right moment. And morally, that is true and acceptable. But there is more to character than just moral application. And that's what Peter and uh, uh, Paul get at for us in the Scriptures. It's more than just outward action. Character is what you are when no one is looking, it's been said. But it's also this. It's what comes out when you get squeezed. And it's what gets built through the process of what I'll call the heat and the hits of life. This, friends, is character. Christ-like character must be continually strengthened and constantly guarded because it builds over a lifetime, but it can be lost in a moment. In an instant. And this is what we see. Now, from character, we see competency. Competency. This is the other uh, item with which an elder is qualified to be. Competent And what competency is, is demonstrated through character lived out. Now, I need to draw a little bit of a contrast, again, with definition of words here, because oftentimes we think of competency in the world in light of what I would rather call capability. I can perform a task. I am competent in that task. But performing a task, being able or capable to perform a task, is not biblical competency. Competency in the Scriptures is applying the character of your life to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ to see it moved forward by your work. And so capability or ability is very much an integral part of that. But it's less than the full scope of competency. But competency depends upon character because competency implies that the individual that is engaging in the task itself is applying the character of their life and influence, which is leadership, in order to serve the mission of Jesus Christ. In leadership, weakness and flaws of character create barriers to competency. Why? Because trials and hardships or even the weight of responsibility out-demand the developed character. One of the greatest causes of burnout, of checkout, whatever the case that actually causes it to happen is in pastoral ministry is when gifting out kicks the coverage of competency. When what you can do is more and better than who you are, you will often find a life that crumbles under the weight of expectation and the demand that it creates. When competency demands... Threaten to outdo the character faith in Jesus holds until more Christ-like character is formed that's true of every church leader that has ever and will ever be no church leader has the perfected character that can sit on the blessed assurance of their laurels and not worry about it anymore but when you reach those moments where the demand and where uh, uh, the weight of ministry finds itself outdoing who you are, the temptation comes, the, the, the other uh, uh, pressures arise, you hold by faith in Jesus until he forms in you a character sufficient to the demand I would argue that's the very nature of Christian growth and maturity at any level, and surely at leadership as well. You see, competency issues are not always the result of character flaws. That's not always true, and and it's very difficult to say even in specific situations, but this can be confidently said. Every character flaw will create a competency barrier at some point, in some way, in some manner, to some degree. Every character flaw, specifically that is dismissed, neglected, refused, or ignored, will always create a barrier to competency in spiritual leaderships. Elders are qualified by character as applied in the mission to demonstrate competency in shepherd leading. The second phrase that Peter gives to us, though, is not just fellow elder. It's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, this phrase substantiates his apostleship. Because one of the three qualifications to be an apostle and to be recognized for canonical inclusion, in other words, the authors who are included in the scriptures, was that you had to be a personal witness of the life and the teachings and the sufferings of Jesus Christ. In other words, you had to be chosen by Christ. You had to walk with him on the face of the earth. That's why Paul goes to great extents in his own testimony to talk about the Lord Jesus appearing to him on the road to Damascus because that qualified him for apostleship. So what Peter is saying is he's giving his qualifications for apostleship, but he's doing more than just that. Peter points to the witnessing of Christ's suffering for the strength of eldership, for the strength of leadership to show his dependence upon the gospel and to point the fellow elders to be dependent only upon Jesus through the gospel as well. You see, Peter was an eyewitness of Christ's sufferings. And Christ's sufferings became a source of strength for his own personal witness. He didn't just just, uh, depend depend upon his own giftings, his own strength, or even his own personal performance. But rather he depended upon Christ's sufferings for himself as his personal witness. Not in his great argumentation or the way he could connect with people, but he pointed people to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the way that he suffered for them and depended upon that. In Christ's sufferings, we see for our own understanding what his aim was and what became the provision of enduring strength for him. Hebrews tells us, "...for the joy set before him, he endured the cross." So it was Jesus who didn't just look to himself but looked to the Father and the Father's will and the promise of what the Father was doing that became his own source of strength to endure his own uh, uh, crucifixion. And so what Peter is saying is the same source that supplied enduring and persevering strength for Jesus, I have depended upon, and I want to point you to that exact source as well. Because it is the only source that will be sufficient for your endurance. When we set Christ as our aim, and we become a witness to his suffering by faith in him, we receive his strength to endure in persecution and in suffering, and in hardship. And as we trust, Christ forges our character. Again, this is where I use this analogy. Through the heat and through the hits. Through the heat of pressure and stress and that which arises, but also through the hits that come, the attacks, either directly at us or uh, indirectly at us, or that we have to deal with. Christ forges our character through these things to transform us into his image. Jesus could not accomplish the Father's will without dying on the cross that's what he said in the garden before he went father if there's any other way let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but thy will be done and hear me peter is telling the fellow elders you don't look for a way out you look for christ and you follow him all the way through that's not easy friends oh it's easy when everything's good but it's surely not easy when things get hard you see, Christ's transformation alone qualifies a man as competent by his character to serve as a shepherd leader. And how do elders lead? They lead out of personal witness to Jesus' power in life. A man must live by faith in Jesus to pasture others to live by the gospel. If he's not following Jesus, he can't teach others and show others how to follow Jesus cannot be a model and teach others to trust what he does not live and practice for himself. Only as one's identity is anchored in Christ will their influence be secured to Christ as well. And then Peter says that we are a particular partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. We'll come back to this in verse 4, but what he's getting at now is the hope that holds because of the hope that we hold. Shepherd leaders actively lead from the hope that anchors our life with Christ in eternity. You see, only a hope that is anchored in Christ will tether the problems and the troubles of life to Jesus. Shepherd leaders lead people to Jesus in every trouble and in every trial because their heart rests in him alone. Sometimes we may get accused of oversimplifying the magnificent problems of life. But friends, most of those problems arose for one reason, because you were following the wrong Lord to begin with. And until that changes, that direction is not going to change. And that's why, if we don't begin there, then we can't get anywhere else. When you apply the world's wisdom, you're always going to get the world's reward. When you walk in godly wisdom, you're always going to walk with Jesus. The man of shepherd leadership must be qualified by character for competency whose strength for life and ministry flows out of his relationship with Jesus and his only hope being anchored in Jesus alone. The first aspect we see of shepherd leadership is that of the man. The second is the model of shepherd leadership. Look at verses 2 and 3. He goes on to say, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not uh, under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, Peter presents the model and he shows how responsibility is to be carried and how leadership is to be carried out. There's no doubt that Christ's words were resonating in Peter's heart when he wrote this. Peter, do you love me? You see, the one moment of Peter's life that I didn't mention a while ago is probably the most defining moment of his life. The first thing Jesus said to him after that rooster crowed and he denied him three times was Peter called him by name. Still talking to him. That's a big deal, isn't it? Do you love me? three times, three times, It echoes in his heart. Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you with increasing intensity and and depth of weight of meaning and and conviction. Lord, I love you. And every time Jesus said this, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He, he He was restoring Peter and for every denial there was grace at the face of Christ for Peter. The model of shepherd leadership holds a redemptive purpose for the leader as much as for the congregation. You see, first we see how elders lead because of who it is that we lead. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Not your own flock. Not anybody else's flock. It's God's flock. This is the leadership strategy for how shepherd leaders are to lead it is a model that is built on the gospel in knowing the flock and being known by the flock Galatians 4 9 what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and most sobering of all is to consider the responsibility in remembering whose flock it is it's God's elders are stewards responsible and held accountable to God and they are under shepherds of Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. You see, elders live among the flock because before they were elders, they were sheep. And not above, not removed from, but among to lead as they are led by Jesus Next, we see how they lead to produce godliness, exercising oversight, he says. The leadership strategy involves what work is to be done oversight in all matters. Provision, teaching, care, protection, direction, uh, management, all of those things. Peter doesn't say elders must do everything, but whatever is done, elders should oversee. You see, there's no allowance for some work gets done by the pastors and other work gets left to the pros. And yet that's probably more of a pattern in churches today. Than not See, biblical leadership utilizes the fact that you can uh, 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 get help. Elders don't have to know how to do everything. As a matter of fact, I would say in 99.9999% of situations, they don't. There's a vast array of things they don't know how to do. And in the other situations, the point zero they they're delusional. But they exercise oversight because the elders who are leading as shepherds must ensure that the work of the mission in the church is serving the mission of the church. That's their responsibility. They're going to be the ones that stand before the Lord to give an account. And so just as in the first aspect, competency is determined by character before and more than skill or ability. And then Peter gives the why for this gospel motivation for shepherd leadership that grows the whole flock. He says this, that you should not only serve uh, to shepherd the flock of God among you and to exercise oversight, but do it willingly willingly. There is a responsibility that, is, that needs to be free from false motives. That, that if elders serve because they want to impress God, if elders serve because they want to impress others, if elders serve because they want to prove themselves, that, that's terminal for the church, friends. It's destructive. It's, it's destructive. It's destructive for the individual's life. An elder must sense a compelling call to serve God in this role, sometimes even when it's not their first desire. Compelling sense from God. They should serve eagerly. Not only do we have responsibility, but we, we should leave, lead by believability. The, the believability of love for Christ and the believability of love for the church, it ought to be evident. It ought to be something. Oh, yeah. I mean, it should be one of the most obvious things that people see about your life. Not to get into a position, not to hold power, not to stroke your pride, uh, to, to, to further your fame or your gain, but rather by a believability of love for Christ and an absolute love for the church. And finally, to set an example So, we've got responsibility, we've got a believability, and we have an accountability. We're not autocrats. We don't domineer over others. We're not dictators. We don't dominate by our leadership, but rather we set an example. That's the whole issue of shepherd leadership. Shepherds walk in front, and sheep follow because they know that voice and they trust it and they follow it. Shepherd leaders serve willingly to accept the responsibility, demonstrate eagerness in personal believability, and set an example demonstrating accountability in order to fulfill the model of shepherd leader. The third aspect that I'll share with you, and I'll close with this one, not only the man of shepherd leadership or the model of shepherd leadership, but finally the motivation Of shepherd leadership and as I've said the first two have already struck at this but here's the defining one verse four and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory friends the motivation of a shepherd's leadership is simply this that nothing fills a shepherd leader's heart like seeing the Lord and that eternal hope that we have in him the confidence that Christ will return one day Motivates all that's done every day. An elder lives with this one defining motivation that we're accountable to the chief shepherd. And he will appear and that is our hope. Elders are held by this motivation that what Jesus says to me on that day when we see him is of far more importance than anything in that everything that gets said to me or about me in the here and now. We know Jesus is coming again. We know he will judge the work that we have done in his absence. And he will judge those who teach more strictly because of their leadership. And he will reward faithfulness. And Jesus' reward is always greater than anything compounded included that the world could dare offer. Hope in Jesus' return demands a complete dependence upon him every day. Here we have the man, we have the model, and we have the motivation of shepherd leadership. There are reasons for leadership failures, and not all reasons can be avoided, but some of the most common today persist among the church, and this is where it is most important for us to apply. Some of the most consistent Leadership failures that occur in the church happen for one of these three reasons. The church ignores the biblical mandate to test character and substitutes it with great charisma. The church substitutes godliness of life for giftedness demonstrated in that life. Or the church neglects the need for submission to Jesus by more highly valuing the polished skilled of what they're able to accomplish for him. And friends, as long as the church shuns shepherd leaders for platform personalities, leadership failures will continue to deny the gospel by moral, by spiritual and by doctrinal failure. And we'll continue to see that in the world. By God's grace, may it never be said, not of me, of this church, we want what God has ordained for this church. And that, and that alone is what we will hold to and what we will pursue. Let's pray.